0: Auto One Podcast Network. Some of these motherfuckers need to be reminded, it's 2023 and they still don't know. I know, right? They're listening to Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast. It's like, duh.
1: Um, sometimes we would be pushing the motorcycle home until eventually he just didn't have it anymore. That's
0: pretty-
2: This
3: podcast is hosted by three sentient beings. One of them's hot, one of them's not, and one of them looks like a bowl of snot. You decide who's who. Hey,
0: in the meantime, the views and opinions of the participants of the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast
3: are those of the participants and do not reflect the policy, position, or opinions of Creative Riding, the Moto One Podcast Network, or any of its affiliates.
0: Moto One made us say that by the way. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the show, indeed. Welcome. If you're reading the Yorkshire Ferret, you're in the right spot. Barton Motors, baby. Car- <laughs> Carnarvon Char. All right. I'll get out of that. We're, we're not talking about whales today. We are talking about... Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. You have a treat on this week's show. We have a plethora of people in the studio today. Uh, we have uh, Ruby Doe Flocks uh, with us tonight. This time, I'm actually Mike. All right. Well, we got Mike and we got Miss Quimberly uh, Dawson. Oh,
1: shut up. Anyway.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, and in the studio tonight, we also have Tobor. Hey, fuckers, it's your
1: favorite robot boy. Whoa, Tobes coming in hot, baby. <laughs> Junkie, I don't recall ever being able to refer to humans in a way that portrays jovial denigration. I have not previously been able to infer sentimental sarcasm in my response catalog.
0: Yeah. If you are talking about being able to call people fuckers, that is new for you, Tobor. We are actually I actually tried to upgrade your chip while you've been down, uh and while you been down and out. But we are trying to get you back up. I've been construct reconstructing Tobor's body. So Tobor, welcome back to the show. It is uh great to hear you. Uh, first time in a long time. Okay, I found- you weirdo. Whatever, Tobor. Just nice to have you back. Don't make me shut you off right away. Uh, plus, we also have in the studio, you may recognize these two yahoos.
2: Taylor Swift.
0: And of the Kansas City Chiefs.
2: Travis Kelsey.
0: All right. So we got T. Swift and Trav- and T. Kelsey in the house tonight. A celebrity duo. Uh, a celebrity couple. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. A celebrity couple. And also, Tobor, you brought a guest tonight. <clears throat> Who else is in the uh, studio with us? Guests, uh, just go ahead and say your name. I am Chibacula. <laughs> Chibacula. Okay, we have Chibacula, and I have no idea what you are or where you came from, but we're here to talk about motorcycles. I hope everybody's ready. I'm ready. I'm totally, I'm totally ready, man. All right, <laughs> All right. Chibacula, uh, Tobor, Kim, Mike, Pete, and everybody else, let's get ready. Uh, this show, we're probably going to make it quick, as quick as we can. And uh, I am going to, let's go around the room and start off with some uh, highs and lows before we get into the word of the week and some other news. And uh, guest honors, we're going to have you guys go first on the highs and lows. So why don't you guys tell us what your highs and the lows are for this week?
2: Uh, Highs and lows, motorcycle-related. Okay, uh, I'll start with a low. It's football playoff season, Mm. and everyone's going on and on and on about football, and my world is weirdly tied up with football for work-related things and whatever, and I'm not obviously into football. And I think we're at, like that calendar date of the year where we are the furthest, both from last season and next season for motorcycle racing. Yeah,
0: unless you're in motocross or supercross. Yeah,
1: junkie's so honest.
2: Yeah, um, I guess there's that. I should be getting more into that for a winter watching experience. But yeah, for for GP for Grand Prix motorcycle racing, whether it's American or international or whatever. We're the furthest away from it that we possibly can be. Yeah, I, there's no there's no motorsport to watch that I really am super compelled to watch right now. And I, this is how bad it was. This week, I watched Hot Shots Part Duh and the original Weekend at Bernie's.
0: He is being 100% serious. Because
2: wow. there's no motorcycle racing to watch.
0: That is a low, yeah. Hell Yeah. That is to low. be honest,
2: well, I have to say this, though. I actually enjoyed rewatching them both a lot more than I thought I was going to. Uh, Weekend at Bernie's has more hijinks than you remember, and Hot Shot's Part duh is so loaded with jokes. I forgot. That's
3: ridiculous it's, uh, if it's true.
2: Not all the jokes land perfectly, but there's a, there's a few really good ones. You could yeah. do worse than going back and watching these two movies. Actually, but I, I really want to know that my crazy are... force would cause a person to do such a thing.
0: Right. A well, the fact that
2: the only thing on TV right now is football.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So that's my low. I don't know. Do yeah. you have a low swigs? Uh, yeah, well, it's a little over a week ago, but, um, the, well, actually it was almost exactly a week ago. Uh, the GL 1500 of my dreams slipped through my fingers. Mm. Oh yeah.
2: You've been given some serious thought to trading the Valkyrie in for the equivalent Goldwing.
3: Yeah. And it was like 60,000 miles. It was, it was all in red. It was the full. Like the fully dressed up one with all the bells and whistles and it just sold in like four hours and like ugh, never wow. got it. Never got a chance. Was it, was it the airbag
2: version too? Yeah, the price was right. The condition was right. The color was right.
3: The options were right. And just got, got past me. Yeah,
2: because uh, it was the Aspen Cade. It was the, the one that came with, yeah, the uh, the air adjustable suspension, the reverse gear, the CB radio, yeah, your onboard air compressor.
1: What else did it everything. have? I just have to know Sad. or I'll burst into one million little bits. And it had a backrest and heated seat God, aftermarket you.
2: option as well, I think. Mm. It did. It did have the heated seat, yeah.
1: Okay, good. Yay.
3: <sighs> uh,
2: it, I mean, I don't know.
0: That's a nice story. This is Chabacula to the gentleman from Colorado. Do you really need a Gold Wing? And this is a serious question.
2: I wonder if you really do need a Gold Wing. I mean, I I think I don't think you need a Gold Wing. Fifteen hundred swigs. I Not think really. you need to go to an eighteen hundred or a twelve hundred or something. Because here's the no. thing: you've no, already I'm got sure. the motor. Like talk. okay, you'll you won't have the supreme balance and riding experience of the GL fifteen hundred, but. If you spent like $250 on a big sissy bar bag and then you got, you know, you already have your whole like entertainment system in your helmets. If you got those little fairing lowers to put Hmm. in front of your knees. Now you're turning it into a Harley. On the Valkyrie. And then got like an $80 aftermarket heated seat kit and handle and like, you know, heated grip kit.
0: Oh, what are you good.
2: really missing from the GL 1500 experience? Callus.
3: Look, Calus. I just want to travel back in time oh, and can do that. cruise down 10th Street, blasting Huey Lewis in the news as loud as I can, and just live in a different time and okay i think enough. i think they're hell yeah hell i mean yeah. it's performance wise it's not really that much there's not much you're getting out of the 15 out of the gold wing than you are out of the valkyrie but i think it has a totally different feel and that's what i'm trying to capture yeah and if i can do that for under three grand like i have to pull the trigger on it
0: bro mm. you
3: got okay it.
2: yeah Makes sense. What if you found one with lower miles and now that we've discovered that we're not that bad at painting? What if we got one that's kind of ratty and just redid the seat and totally custom painted it?
0: it.
2: That's a lot of painting.
0: painting. It's a lot
3: of body work. It
2: is, is. but I mean, it's a lot. You guys aren't mm. ready for it. It's gotta be easier to take that paint off the plastic than it is off of <laughs> off of metal. But I don't know. Okay. Do
3: do? How long is the segment? It's done. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's <laughs> we're going off on a tangent. Okay, yeah, so you, you gotta bike are. the gun you guys away. Are done.
1: Okay, <laughs> assholes, thanks for making this the No podcast back to creative writing.
0: <laughs> Jeez, Tober, clear. Jess. we still gotta go around to some highs. Uh Mike, why don't you hit us up with your low?
3: All right. Let's start with my lows. Oh, Spoiler alert, the Kentucky kid is dead.
0: <laughs> that, is a, that is a fucking low if I've ever heard one. Okay, oh shit. Um, Next, uh,
1: Tobor, what's your low? Junkie, if smart were stupid, you'd be really smart. Robots don't have highs and lows unless what? you're talking about sine wave analysis.
0: All right, holy crap, Tobor. Loosen up. Here you can make insults but you can't give a high and low i think that's stupid you're stupid you idiot okay you weirdo quit saying that by the way uh dawson let's move to dawson dawson you got some highs and lows
1: No, let's see i'm sure i have lows but i can't think of anything because i'm so excited about that i had to give a blow job
0: (laughs) oh my god who the fuck was it this time I forgot. Holy crap, blood. That's the way to do it. All right, well, and Chubacula, I'm not even going to ask you what your highs or lows are because I don't think you probably have any. I am my highs and lows are... My lows are, um... There's a lot of things around the internet. Dude, I don't even know if anybody's even going to be able to understand what the hell you're saying. And you're... Yeah, Tobort, nice friend that you brought along. Uh, We'll come back to you later, Chubacula, and, and that sounds like a Star Wars version of a scary chicken. Um let's see the noco guys, you got any highs? Let, let me give you a uh let me give you a high here.
2: I have decided that uh since I'm working from home and I'm kind of my own boss, I have I, I've talked to Claire about this and I am building in one hour every single day of the week. Weekends, weekdays, whatever, to work on the Lambretta. So, uh, in a couple days here. Oh, also, actually, you know what? Scrap that. No, here is a good high. Please
1: don't say scrap that around. uh, I got a late
2: Christmas present the other day. I got the shop vac, the wet dry shop vac to end all wet dry shop vacs. I got the brand new Craftsman sixteen gallon, six and a half horsepower uh wet dry shop vac. It's got you know the the intake and exhaust port so the gazinda and gazauta so it can it can suck.
1: Tobor, what'd you do? He didn't say scrap that, bro. He did say scrap that. As a result, I've muted his channel. Scrap that. See?
0: Tobe, just unmute it. Turn it back on before he realizes that he's been turned off and stops this filibuster. Do it, please. You know,
2: cause you. I've bought some like three horsepower and like two and a half horsepower shop vacs like bargain cheap ones in the past yeah and they don't last and when you're trying to suck up leaves or something and they just don't or it gets clogged too easily because it doesn't have enough suction all of a sudden the tool becomes more hassle than it's worth and oh my god like, when you think about all the things in your life on your journey to becoming a real man, right? There's moving your bed away from the wall, right? There's being yeah, yeah. on your parents' uh, uh, Netflix account anymore. And then there's owning a real shop vac, right?
0: Yeah. I thought you said stop peeing on your parents' Netflix account, but you said being on it. Yeah, um, yeah, that is that is a that's a monumental step toward adulthood is your first wet dry shop vac because, you know, you try to do the thing where you um, you make it work. You, you know, you make uh, you make a crappier vacuum work, but the 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 real first true wet dry vac, even if it's a cheapie, I have to imagine that if you're talking about a, a proper adulthood that you went all in on a good uh, wet dry vac, not one of these like Stinger brand from like Home Depot.
2: Well, no, it was a late Christmas present, actually. Yeah. So I didn't yeah, even yeah. have I, to buy right. it. So right. double bonus. I just oh, got it.
0: That's even yeah. better. That's your friends lifting you up into adulthood, helping you, helping you up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> from here on out, it's Geritol and Depends. Um, yeah. Congrats. <laughs> you, made, you made it. <laughs> Sick. All right. So I think Swigs uh, needs yeah. a,
2: a high, and then we're
0: good. Yeah, you just need a high. So we bring us mm. back from that the loss of that Goldwing, man. Was it an airbag version too? No, you said asking. No, so uh, no. they didn't have. Air.
3: Oh my yeah, god! This is a '95. Oh, okay, I'm not buying new Goldwing. Jeez, I'm not made of money. Well, no. Uh, uh, okay, no. Hold on. Let's pause. I don't know. That's Hi. not true at all. Yeah, that ain't true. I don't think it's been a great week for motorcycles for me, actually. I um, it's baloney. Although there is something surreal about seeing Mark Marquez in Grissini leathers. Very um, sexy. That was kind of a surreal experience. Surreal
0: equals sexy. Not really a high, though. Mm. Hmm. What's your opinion?
3: I don't think I have a high this this week.
0: Are you high?
3: That's, <laughs> that's not very good.
0: <laughs> they can't all be
3: winners. Uh, I don't know. We no. got like
2: a new phantom power uh, unit, so you can use your fancy microphone at the the Tiki recording studio now. <laughs> It's true. Uh, does that count? That might be as close as you come. Yeah, that'll help a lot.
1: Um, Sorry, this segment sucks, junkie. Guys, he's used to every segment sucking. Oh, this is junk we're talking about he is
3: here. He's
0: being 100% serious. Let's get on to the rest of the show. I actually didn't do my highs or lows yet. My highs this week is that uh, I actually am getting close to having the Patreon. Uh, stuff go out for Solstice Slam.
3: Oh, totally missed that. Um,
0: yeah, I haven't announced it yet. <laughs> I also uh, am hand making some prize pack stuff along with some other things for the uh, Solstice Slam winner. And uh, like we already announced Paul, but the, the winner of the race, so that video is coming together. Uh, we ended, we had Solstice Slam extended all the way through September. We determined the winner in October, we filmed the racing in November, we started editing it in December, and I'm very close to having it done and ready to present in January. I've also been working on some unboxing videos. I actually filmed one today and then totally deleted it, uh, cause it, you know, the sun was just incredibly bright and shiny and it kind of ruined it. I needed to set it up a little bit better, um... And
1: what else? And then I got... Junkie, I'm not all that interested in your highs and lows. Can we move on to the next segment? Bro. I've had a few beers, but I am not falling for this shit tonight.
0: What? Like, what do you mean? Like, you're not interested in what my highs and lows for the week are? Like, what are you interested in? I'm
1: Googling Salvation Mountain on Grand Theft Auto right now. Oh,
0: Jesus Christ. All right. All right, guys. Let's hang on one second. Yeah, I'm gonna I am a guest of honor and I don't even like what's going on in here. I think I'm gonna take a split. i oh, see y'all later. Bye. <laughs> Chibacula. Chibacula. just walked out of the studio. Someone I don't even know. Something I don't even know. Tobor's buddy just walked out. To- Tobor, where are you going? Sit down. What the fuck, guys? So, do we need to just stop
2: this whole thing and start it again?
0: I guess that's what everybody
3: wants to do. I mean, if
0: that's, I mean, what do we have left? The news or events or anything like that? Yeah. I mean,
3: let's let's just do a, a full restart. I'm gonna go do some stuff, and then we'll. All yeah. right, I'll uh-huh. stay here.
0: All right, well, give me. Thirteen seconds. We'll be right back with some more creative writing. Hey, creative writers! RP Enterprises wants to remind you of their latest greatest invention: the medicated adhesive graphic strip. This medicated bandage strip is emblazoned with bold graphics depicting infected, pus oozing, disgusting wounds. Whether you have just a minor scratch, a hangnail, or a clean gash, make sure you customize it with the Mag's Bandage from RP Enterprises. RP
1: Enterprise is only-
3: Creative Writing is brought to you by Millman's Chocolate Chips. Millman's for long distance truckers and motorcyclists on a long road trip. Millman's features enriched cocaine and skink pheromones. Millman's I Killed the Ninja. Millman's chocolate chips. For over 131 years and several months, Cloudman's has
0: been supplying quality pickles to motorcyclists the world over. Legendary icons such as Sylvester Roper, Oscar Headstrom, William Harley, Betsy Stringfield, Frank Willoughby Cotton, Evil Knievel, Nikki Hayden, and Sachiro Honda have all quenched their desires for a thick, juicy pickle sliding across their greasy, willing lips with none other than a fine specimen from Klobman's. Join the Hall of Fame. Win your first race. Impress the judges. Put a Klobman's in your mouth and a championship trophy on your shelf. Klobman's. Not for dreamers. For doers. Klobman's. The only pickle for motorcyclists. Uh, Yeah, then I was like, What are you guys talking about? And then my son was like, oh, it's some show called Skibbity Toilet on YouTube. And then, of course, I did what everybody does, and I went to Reddit and looked it up and went down the rabbit holes of things that are very inappropriate, Skibbity Toilet related. But, uh, yeah, long story short, uh, yeah, I just couldn't believe uh, that was my low. I mean, honestly, that was that was top to low that I that I told you. Anyways, uh, oh shoot, we're back on. We're alive, everybody. Uh, and yeah, I don't I don't know if I should leave that in or cut it out, but uh, we are back. Oh, you fucking so pussy! Don't right? even do it. No, absolutely not. All right. Well, I'm leaving it then. And with no further ado, maybe with a little stinger. Let's get into this week's show. All right, everybody, welcome to the meat and potatoes of this week's show. Wherever you're hearing this, I can assure you, this is going to be the reason to live this week. And that reason is because we are going to talk about some crazy Suzuki bikes. This all started out with Pete and I talking about how underrated Suzuki is, and uh, they always get shit for being the bold new graphics spike and i have to say that th- that does span uh across the the history of the the brand back into the 70s at least maybe the 80s that it's true that once in a while they would throw some bold new graphics on however they don't get enough credit uh a- until the last couple uh years with this new parallel twin and everyone dropping their you know jaw to the ground because holy crap suzuki came out with the new motor um come to find out Suzuki has been pretty crazy in the past, and I think that what they do is that they say, hey, look, some other things almost cost us the company. Hopefully, we'll talk about that bike, um, and I think they learned their lessons, and And it might surprise you what Suzuki has done in the past, so we're going to talk about that on this week's show, and uh, Pete, Swiggs, you guys are here. We've all done a little bit of research. I know you guys have, have jotted down a few bikes, and I've jotted down a few bikes, and hopefully we can... I don't know, bring it to light that Suzuki isn't just bold new graphics. And in fact, they were responsible for some of the craziest motorcycles that history has to offer. Would you guys agree?
2: Yes. Yes, we would. <laughs> okay. All right. Who wants to who wants to throw the first bike at this? Who's got you know what something
0: I, I'm gonna let you throw the first bike out because I feel like you guys, you know, you guys obviously are gonna be coming at this uh from a different angle. I, I love the way that you guys break down bikes. I just kind of go usually from like a very high level historical look at them, but you guys kind of get into the knit and grit of it. So I want to hear what you guys have to say first, because if it, if it is a bike that's on my list, I can cross it off.
3: Yeah. So, well, let, let's start with a, with a fairly easy one. <clears throat> let's start with the, uh, the 750 GT, okay. otherwise known as the water Buffalo good choice uh and we'll also include the uh the 550 and the was it the 390 gt 380 (laughs) or the gt 380 yeah Yeah. so or yes, it's the gt 750 not the 750 gt close enough yeah yeah um yeah so at the same time as kawasaki was releasing the um c900 no the uh ah why am i blanking on this kz 1000 no they're inline he, 3 two stroke the the h2 when oh, they were releasing the h2. h2 and the h1 and the h1 and when honda was releasing the goldwing the goldwing and they had also had a few years on everybody else with the cb750 kawasaki come or Suzuki comes out with the GT750, which must be the largest displacement liquid-cooled two-stroke motorcycle ever made. Uh, Probably, I think so. Yeah. Uh, it. Yeah, I mean,
2: I'm sure there's something out weirder thing out there, but for
3: anything mass-produced, you must be correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and. I mean, liquid cooling two-strokes was still kind of like a novel thing in like MotoGP even. Like this wasn't something uh, you did lightly.
0: Right. I mean, even the, um, and you know, I, I was going to say, I have on my my bike uh, list here some history stuff that the, um, I don't even think the GSX-R1100 got liquid cooling until into the late 90s. We're talking 20 years before that, their liquid cooling a, a two-stroke, you know, uh, a
3: 750
0: fifty yeah. two-stroke, at that.
3: And there is something about a lot of these early uh, Suzuki projects that are—they're almost sort of just these kind of hairbrained garage builds that they then kind of try and fix all the problems with afterwards. Um, I remember, like, one of the big things about the GT seven fifty is they did strange things like use different metals for the crankcase and, and the cylinder heads. And they would just get chemically bonded together over time. And I think Miss Emma, we were talking about it with Miss Emma a few years ago, and she was saying, oh, yeah, absolutely, they did. Uh, and every time we had to work on one, we would basically hang it from the ceiling and put weights on it. To slowly pull right. the crankcase off of the jugs, and right. it, it would just be hung up for a day to solve that problem. Uh, they had no but idea, also, like, of
0: galvanic corrosion, or you know I'm sure they did, but they didn't have the materials that are like super you know taken for granted these days to to get past all that for sure
3: weirdly it's a problem that seems to happen over and over again and people think (laughs) that they've got a solution for it and they're just wrong like there was that whole scrap there was that whole slate of um of u.s navy ships built in the 90s that all got scrapped after like 20 years because they tried to build aluminum superstructures on top of the steel decks and it all just corroded and destroyed itself yeah. Um, it seems to be a problem that people make that engineers make all the time, despite it being something that everybody knows about.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah. so every podcast, every motorcycle YouTube channel, every magazine has done a swing at going, oh my gosh, the Suzuki GT seven fifty, what an insane motorcycle. And the idea of a 750 two stroke is yeah absolutely preposterous and okay but hang on it, but, Didn't and, Yamaha and,
0: have a tz 750 though um, i mean there were there were other there were there were other 752 strokes i believe sure I think it's right the but fact but that it was a what, water-cooled and it's a triple that made that really is what does it for some people because that is kind of unheard of you know i don't think many other people did that
2: I, I think I think reducing it to that is a little bit of an injustice right so so Suzuki when they really go off the rails goes for this very odd sort of one-upmanship kind of thing right this is how we get things like the GSS 1100 so early on and like speed Wars and and things the 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 water buffalo it is wacky because it's an inline three And it is wacky because it's an inline three two stroke. And it is wacky because it's an inline three two stroke water cooled. But that's not really the whole story. The whole story is that, okay, Kawasaki's got the H2, which is a very simple motorcycle, Mm -hmm. right? It seemed, it seems so crazy to read about it and look at it. But when you see one in person, it's not very large and it doesn't sound as impressive as you thought it was going to and it it doesn't have any extras on it whatsoever. Yeah. It's a very basic thing. It's a it's a blunt instrument. It's
0: absolutely It's a hammer. And I just saw one I just saw one on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve come out to the uh, the classic you know little little meetup that we have and they were very small and i have a feeling that they were called the widow maker at least the 750s were because i don't know if the 500 was that powerful but i have a feeling that it was also a combination of the fact that it was small and they had bias ply tires back then and there was a lot of you know i i feel like there was a lot of rider error back then and when you get to the gt 750 um it's bigger, you know, it's a full size. It's it's a, it's a, it's a tour. It's not a lumbering tour. it's it's more than full size. So, so hold on, this is comically
2: large. so, so so this is what I'm trying to build to is that the GT 750 is not just all these weird things mechanically. It's also all these weird things like philosophically and, and Mm -hmm. stylistically. So, in its riding experience, in its accessories, in its uh, – the, the the sort of cultural um, place that it takes up, it actually has a lot more to do with the Goldwing than it does the that makes, H2. That makes so
0: much sense,
2: yes. And yes. it is a bike that had all the creature comforts and, and crazy technologies at the time, well, besides valves. Um, and uh, it it's Suzuki throwing everything at the wall at once is what it is because, again, it didn't need to have disc brakes, but yet it did, mm-hmm. right? It didn't need to have um, – uh, you know, adjustable suspension, but it did. It didn't need to have uh, you know, forks as big as it did. did It didn't, didn't need to be as large as it was. It didn't need to have all the ins- instrumentation it has. It didn't need to be as showy and as flashy as it is. Right. Right but the 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 water buffalo was kind of meant to be the ultimate motorcycle and do everything except go off road it was a big tour and it was also supposed to be fast and it, and it's just suzuki going off the rails more right. than it is a wacky two stroke it gets yeah. a lot of credit for being a wacky two stroke but it is the the suzuki trying to do everything All at once. And when you start zeroing in on all the little pieces of the water buffalo, that story starts emerging. And all of a sudden, you don't care so much that it's a two stroke. You just go, oh, for this moment, Suzuki was the craziest company and the craziest thing that anybody had
3: ever seen. So something I think that also deserves... (laughs) Um, well, they did do some other things with it that are really fun. Um, the, the fake exhaust header to get four exhausts. Three into four. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Three into one to four is, uh, because it was just more. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also I think the fact that they tried to spin it into a 550 and a 380 deserves an honorable mention because that two stroke motor, because the 550 and the 380, they went air cooled only. And that motor was not designed to be air-cooled, and the cooling was absolutely insufficient. I don't know how much, yeah, the,
2: the, the 380 and 550 motor really have to do with it. It's just they're also part of the GT line. But again, so Kawasaki had the H1 and the H2. Suzuki was like, fuck you, we'll go one more. We'll have three GT models instead of your two H models. Like, fuck you. We, not only are our bikes bigger and better and faster or whatever, we also have more choices.
0: Right. I I was going to say, when you get into it, they have a, I mean, Suzuki did this with so many things. They had a GT, a GT 125, a GT 185, a GT 200, a GT 250, 350, 380, 500, 550. So they, what Suzuki did was take something like this, and they weren't all triples, you know, and, and water cooled, like you're mm. saying. But what they did is they took something, they took these things. And they just boiled them down to, like, the smallest. I mean, I'm sure they would have had a GT80 if they could have. I th- well, I think this well you said they had all 80s. these
2: different GTs, but year to year, they didn't have all of them.
3: No. But, um, but the 550 no. and the 380 were triples. and But they made them air-cooled, and they were trying to build them, you know, at a price point. And their solution was just to throw as many fins as possible <laughs> at these motors to get the cooling to work, like, adequate. And right. most people said that the middle cylinder still overheated. Yeah. Um, and if you look at one of these, it's, it looks as tall as a four-stroke motor because they've just stacked so many fins on this thing. It's absurd. Right. I
2: want to say something about haters and triple motors. There is a certain kind of dude that I don't care what inline three motor you're talking about. I don't care how revered the bike is. I don't care what manufacturer it came from. I don't care what year it was. There is a certain breed of cat that as soon as you bring up a three-cylinder motor goes, oh, yeah, but that middle cylinder gets so hot It doesn't matter how much water cooling is on it. I don't care if we're talking about an old Triumph Rocket 3. I don't care if we're talking about an H2. I don't care if we're talking about a modern Triumph Trident. I don't care. I don't care how many units they've sold, how little recalls or warranty has ever had to be done to these bikes or engines, how reliable they are, how many were sold, how popular it is, how revered it is. You know, I think there are people that will talk about... It doesn't matter if it's two-stroke or four-stroke. There is a breed of cats that will only bitch about the middle middle cylinder getting it hot regardless of how much evidence there is for or against that happening. And I... I am over it.
3: That's true.
1: That's I'm fair. so
3: over it. That's fair. But this one did.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <This one> <laughs> certainly <laughs> some of them did. Absolutely. Of course. But but yeah, we're also talking about an old bike now. And like, yeah. like how, how hot are you going to run this for how long? Like, am I going to go across the country on this? Absolutely not. But no. – Could I just ride this around northern Colorado, 50 to 100 miles at a time with no problems? Absolutely. probably. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know what? And and with the speed limits being 55, you know, back in those days and even lower in Japan, I mean, this was a bike that you could, you know, not many people commuted that far to begin with. And this was a bike that you weren't going to trash by trying to, you know, get like... A, you know a, an iron butt on it you know what i'm saying and just have it constantly overheating and, and and stuff like that i do think it's funny to think about the 500 or the 550 and when you think of like drawings of motorcycles like from Scooby Doo or Jabberjar, whatever whatever tv shows were from like the 70s and they would draw a motorcycle with just a crazy boxy engine it almost looks like <laughs> with that with how many fins they had to stack on that triple you kind of you kind of see how cartoony it, it does look you know what i'm saying and and i unique. love the look of
2: this engine
3: the look it does look <laughs> great well, you want to talk
0: yeah. about <laughs> like engines
2: from the 70s that look space age and star wars and oh, yeah, far yeah. out man a lot of old honda engines at this time were still kind of rounded off it's as Swig said, this kind of has a Honda CB750 single overhead cam look to it. Right. like it looks like it's got great big valve covers on it, but it, it's it's some the engine looks like a mix between a CB750 and a Star Wars like super destroyer.
3: Right? Was this thing a dually? It's kind of cam cam got like a, like an ATST type.
2: Yeah, oh, no, her, yeah, yeah, Star Wars ATST kind of yeah, thing, and it's far
3: out. I think it's wild, and yeah, when, and and but you just know as it was going down the assembly line, the engineers were like, "Please be enough, please be enough." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh,
0: yeah. they they put they put gold plating on it too for seventy three, which you know, which is when they would also switched it from drum to disc, and like they just this thing was like you are saying this was their premiere. Uh, from the paint jobs they put on it starting you know then th- this was their answer i guess to the goldwing at that time and and uh yeah this the, is the 750
2: the 750 was definitely the answer to the goldwing the the GT380 is definitely the fuck you to the H1 and and then you know the 500 in between and yeah, everything about this, at, you know, because Suzuki doesn't really do a lot of one-upmanship anymore, and they haven't no, for a while. Don't. No, they really don't. And they really don't. I think this series of bikes was sort of Suzuki's loudest moment. Mm-hmm. I think it was uh, Suzuki just saying "fuck you." You know, we made yeah. really cool off-road bikes forever, but we are going to try to own this road market in two-strokes and. Right.
3: And, and uh and you know what,
2: the, like I, for, for a moment they kind of did
0: uh-huh. yeah for and, sheer and I audacity think, i think literally they were the loudest too cuz if you think about it suzuki made almost all two strokes at this time like everything <laughs> everything in their lineup was a two stroke so it was literally the loudest as, as well um yeah super yeah. cool stuff I think 1977 or six or seven was the year when most, I think that's when they had the biggest GT model lineup. If you ever go back and look at their, you know, model catalog, like 77 will be the year that you get like a GT 50 all the way to the GT 750 for the last, you know, it's last year. (laughs) So I think 77 was a good year for GT two strokes. Um, But they they
2: debuted with these three main models in the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. I.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and I don't think the U.S. had many more
2: than just the three models.
0: I, I don't. Yeah, I don't even. I've never ever seen a 550 in person or even lower than that. I've only seen three. uh, The I've ever only seen a a GT 750, um, and I think I've only ever seen them in that blue. Um, I forget the the color that they called it. Oh, then
2: you just need to come to Mid Ohio, and every time (laughs) you turn around, like you'll get hit by one in the nuts. Yeah. Yeah. They're (laughs) everywhere. Uh, But yeah, I I think the U.S. just had the three displacements. And the yeah. rest were all different. Pla- and like the 500 may have turned to the 550 in the States. I'm not clear on that. But yeah,
0: yeah, that probably was. The,
2: the main um, message was Kawasaki has an H1 and H2. We have three models. Go fuck yourself.
0: Pretty much, yeah. And um, I, I did want to say, yeah, in in the US, I forget what the actual market name was for it, but um, it obviously got the water buffalo. I think it was called the... um. I'm going to think of it in a minute, but, but lovingly, it was called the, uh, the water buffalo here. Um, I think they called it the kettle in Britain, the water bottle in Austria and Austria and um, Australia. And, um, I forget, you know, I've heard, I've heard some other names that people have said, oh yeah, you know, whatever country they had it, everybody had their own lovable thing for it. And I mean, that is because it was probably the only water cooled two stroke at the time that I, that I can at least think of. But, um, that but, yeah. sounds
2: right. At least, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I think year? we. Anyway, I think we've yeah. covered these. Yeah, these Suzuki yeah. two-stroke road bikes pretty well. I mean, they're cool. I'd I'd love to have one and like restore one or something. I think that'd be a fun yeah. project and and a lot more doable than maybe some other projects too. I think you can you can find parts for these at swap meets and stuff. I don't think it's that hard
3: to find these side covers. You could put modern disc brakes on them that work. That'd yeah,
2: yeah, I might. Yeah, they're not so precious. I'd like to have a 380. I think this would be a cool sort of cafe job. Put some different wheels on this and uh, and see what, w- wheels and brakes and see where you can go.
0: Yeah. first thing you're going to want to do, too, is to check those exhaust couplers because they uh, were famous for leaking um, <laughs> the left and right. The right ones are coupled together. They uh, apparently like all sorts of maybe water buildup or whatever. I don't know. But yeah, Who knows? So that, these would be fun. Uh, you guys want okay. to move on to the next one?
2: Yeah, throw, you throw one at us, junks.
0: All right, so this is this is actually one of my favorite ones, and this is one of the ones that got me thinking about this. Is that when everybody here, and whenever to me, whenever whenever I think of a square four, I think of the aerial square four, which is what nineteen. Twenties, nineteen thirties?
2: No, when, that's a forties, fifties bike, like late forties okay, yeah. through okay. like mid late fifties.
0: I I I obviously haven't thought about one in so long that I forget when it was. I'm off by twenty years, but um, I think that people forget that Suzuki, the uh, the company that you know gets the uh, bold new graphics claim right now, is is responsible for some of the greatest racing uh, square fours that there ever was. Um, and part of this is because. Started it started in uh uh, with our gamma models um and they the gamma wasn't originally a square four um it was a response to the um 1982 Honda like VT 250F Integra which was I think a V uh I think that was a, a four stroke but it was like Honda's little V twin like road racer replica a two at a 250, and then in 83 yamaha came out with the uh, rz 250r two stroke which was a quote street legal racer um and, and you have to remember back in these days 250s were still a class a road racing class at isle of man that's how joey dunlop died and how his brother died they both died on like 125s or 250s like road racing small bikes was was not uh you know it wasn't your, your beginner bike these, these were crazy little bikes even though they were only 250s so when Yamaha had that racer come out Honda followed up that later that year with the MVX 250F which was a, um, one of the only two strokes that Honda made this is like Honda's two stroke era with the early 80s but it was a V3 so it was a two stroke that had like two forward pointing cylinders and then a rear one that just pointed straight up is more like an L three, but Suzuki, they got in and they said, Hey, we got this little RG two stroke, uh, parallel twin so even before you know the last two years and everyone's given you know kawasaki oh my god they released a parallel twin um kawasaki was in the parallel twin game in the late 70s and 80s and one of their first most famous ones was the rg250 gamma little two-stroke very first bike with an uh, aluminum frame on a street bike most bikes were steel frames for a while after that um and the next year it, it spawned the RG250 Gamma, and they started calling it Gamma, and they were like, listen, we're making these bikes lighter and faster, and you know bikes have a lead time. So while this little 250 parallel twin was spooling up, they were stacking two cylinders, two more cylinders behind it, (laughs) and figuring out how to make it work. So in 84, um, when the RG250 Gamma with the little Gamma symbol finally released, they also dropped the uh, RG500 square four Uh, that year and basically it was the closest thing that you could buy to a uh, street legal GP race bike. It was basically like a homologation uh, model if you want to consider it that. Um, And it was a water cooled square four. So again, they were playing off the water cooled technology from a decade earlier that hadn't seen hardly any other bikes um, and they're throwing it onto this square four. And I, I imagine with a square four, you need, you need cooling. You can't just stick with oil uh, and air cooling for those back cylinders because like you said Pete everyone's going to complain about how hot they get but um so the so the RG500 was a square four two stroke had an aluminum box frame a full floating suspension i believe the front forks were damp you know damper control uh, control the rebound and stuff Is like pretty modern for the time because it was their homologated uh, GP bike um, and it was only nine, 95 horsepowers, but I mean back then that was pretty quick
2: 95 um, horsepower in the mid to late 80s is it's, it's huge yeah ridiculous that that right. was no, so this, on this, yeah, this, is, this is
3: essentially imagine getting like a Yamaha R3 with triple the horsepower
0: R- yeah that's yeah, what yeah, this exactly. is exactly. It was Say, like similar million.
3: weight and yeah. and like size and just triple the horsepower. Exactly. That's what this is, so exactly. so
2: the craziest part of this is uh, 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 what you kind of mentioned the least, right so yes, this is insane because it's a five hundred cc four cylinder square four square so two parallel <laughs> two parallel twins joined together, and yeah, you know heat management was an issue and whatever, but this was uh successful and awesome because of racing rules that then change. There's a reason no one still makes these because these were kind of like the Honda NR 700 or 750. This only makes sense within a very specific racing class and set of rules. However, what was so insane is that when they didn't even really need to Suzuki (laughs) just made the exact same bike with lights and turn signals available to the public the The same bodywork. like the only real difference is they changed it to a two-seater version for the public but other than that it's the same bodywork. it's i think they did i think they did detune it a little bit i don't think they did i think they just gave you the bike
3: uh no i believe back in like 85 um i can't remember what the like the if there were similar engine allowance rules but I want to say that at the time they had really gotten the two strokes down where they could get a bike to they could get a motor to explode on lap twenty seven of a twenty six lap race like they were
2: pretty i think you just weren't meant to to abuse it that hard on the streets i I think it was also. Uh, you can just buy one at your dealership and then yeah. take it racing as well. There, like, I don't think this was a bike. This was astronomically expensive in nineteen eighties money. Normal uh, people probably, didn't buy yeah. this. This yeah. was the equivalent of buying like you know the the CBR, you know, Triple R, uh, Fireblade kind of thing. This this wasn't for normal people, but yeah, yet you could buy it as
0: a normal person, no problem. I'm looking at the sales specs and the sale bike is 95 horsepower. Meanwhile, the uh if you if you look at the um 85 GSX 1100, which was like their sport bike that kind of predated the GSXR, uh its horsepower is it's only got like 10 more horsepower, <laughs> you know, so actually it's 124. So I mean, and that's out of an 1100 um so we're talking, yeah, this thing wasn't like, like this only
2: like four hundred and eleven pounds, something like that, too. Probably dry weight's yeah, three fifty. The yeah, dry weights three, three fit, okay. Yeah. yeah, this is ridiculously light. Just yeah, this yeah. is Ninja four hundred light. They also made for uh, the Japanese market. I don't know if it made it to the states. There was an RG four hundred as well, which yeah. was like eighty something horsepower. But again, with how light uh, it,
3: was. No, it was, it was signif- it was like sixty something. It, they dropped it significantly. That was oh. that
2: was like that was usable power. Well, again, oh, yeah. super duper light two-stroke, high rev. You know, imagine the two-stroke, high revving like power of this thing. With four well, cylinders. the other thing is,
3: this thing was horrendous to control because you got virtually no power below five thousand RPM, right. and then and redline was ten. Yeah, so you had to just wind this thing up. It had the <laughs> narrowest power band imaginable. It was yeah. This would be
2: frightening to ride today. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. Even with good, pl- good tires that weren't like bias ply, and and yeah, the 400 only was 85 and 86, and it only was in Japan because in Japan the the racing series, I mean, all the bikes were pretty much 400. Um, you know that was their 400, and this horsepower yes yeah, is, is 60. So it
3: did. Well, it was also uh, licensing rules as well. It was probably but, yeah, a three nine nine
0: yeah uh yeah let me see it's a what ours ours it uh it's given me yeah it just says uh 397 yep yeah 397 um and so there was i i didn't know this man that the the square four was actually and it was only made for three years from 85 to 87 um but what happened was after this was ruled out, similar to like the Britain, right? Like he, you make a bike to go racing and then they outlaw it or like make ch- make some rule changes. So this, the rules changed. These were no longer viable for the track and very dangerous on the street. And so they still sold them into 88 and 89, but they didn't ever make them past 87. So the ones that you were getting is exactly what Suzuki does to this day still. They may skip a year and just re it, you know, rebadge it as a uh, they did that with the um, yeah. They the, just sit. The they
2: they build a huge batch of them, and they sit yeah. in the warehouse till they, they all they, yeah. sell, and then they build another batch. It's exactly Honda does they, it a lot too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. The new katana is exactly that. I mean, that new katana hasn't changed, but the the number on the VIN that, or the character that tells you what year it is that's the only thing that's changed on that thing. And the uh, the new GSX 250 is the same thing, man. They they put data for that out for like three years. And then they only release like two or three colors at a time, but they had already made right. them all, you know? So yeah, they, yeah they, they basically because they have the to put,
2: thing. they have to put a vid number on it when they build the frame. So they have to keep calling it, you know, a 2021, yeah. even though you, you know, it is the current model year,
0: right? But right. it's
2: stamped as 20. So yeah, it's just a weird legal thing,
0: and, you know? Uh, I, I never knew this because I was looking up this bike and in 86, uh, on the 500 and the 400, I saw the, uh, Walter Wolf edition, uh, which made me think of breaking bad. Um, and I think that, uh, it says that they were con they, it was to commemorate seven consecutive championships in GP racing. So I don't know. I mean, these bikes were only made for three years, so I don't know if it just won world championship and gp champ or, or you know I'm not 100% sure who the hell even walter wolf is but apparently they in the short amount of time this thing just started kicking some serious ass and uh yes it did yeah and i've only ever seen again i've only ever seen one of these in person the the rg500 uh and it was the blue and white one again there's probably 87 of them floating around it mid Ohio, <laughs> but I've only ever seen one, one for real in person. And it sounded, uh, just unbelievable. Like the, it sounded like two parallel twins going at the same time. It was just, it's crazy. And I actually have the schematic for it right here on tack to my well, uh, my, uh, toolbox. And I like to just look at it once in a while. And I, unfortunately I reached over to grab it and I dropped it on the floor. So I'd have to like, reach over to get it, but just looking at how they paired the crankshafts together and like got everything to match up and then have it be water cooled and and get all of that shit into like something when nobody was doing this again, I think they called back to the trials of the GT 750 and said, Hey, we know we can water cool this.
2: Here's another thing and kudos to Suzuki on this. So we're talking mid eighties, right? This is – so the, the bike that most people would have been buying that was similar to this would be, say, the GSXR 750, right? This is a very Gixxer 750-ish kind of frame. But if you look at the styling of it, this has a lot more to do with styling – you know, seven, eight years later than it does the current 80s styling. This is Suzuki going all in on the full aerodynamics on it. And you wouldn't really see a consumer bike like this From Kawasaki until a few years later, Honda was really covering everything up and getting full body packages like this, sure, but not in something so race competitive out of the box. This is this looks more like a mid 90s like ZX 600 to me or a ZX 7R than anything else in terms of styling. This is really on the cutting edge of. Like I said, the fairings, the aero package, the styling that's ahead of its time. And yeah, Suzuki just throwing everything at the wall and going, boom, you want a fucking real thoroughbred sports bike. This is it. And no one else at this time was giving you something like this. Not no. at all, and, and,
0: and everyone always thinks of Suzuki. Oh, they make the V Strom, and they make the uh, you know the SV, and they make the Jixer. Like you know, uh, they they I don't think that they get enough credit for the crazy stuff that they tried, uh, way back you know from the sixties all the way into the deep mid eighties. And when when people think of the eighties, they think of Top Gun and the Ninja, and now the H two is celebrating you know Ninja celebrating forty years. And I think Suzuki just kind of like lets it slide off their shoulders because they have such a crazy history that they don't really pump themselves. You know, they don't, they're really- not
2: as consistently weird as other as others from the the big four. But when they do go weird, they go weird in a really big way. <laughs> right. All right. Let uh, me, let me think yeah. of one off my list here. So we covered the Suzuki across and the SW one last week. Mm. Uh, but I do quickly just want to put those in context. Um, Because again, Suzuki has quietly a lot of frunk experience and a lot of sort of very different approaches to common categories of bike. Mm -hmm. And so the bike that I want to mention right now, it's it's a bike that everyone's heard of, everyone's familiar with, but constantly forgets one of Suzuki's wildest bikes ever. The Bee King.
0: All right. That's the next one on my list, too. So I'm going to cross it off here and we can see what we could talk about together. So, (laughs) The Bee King,
2: on top of just visually being out of this fucking world, (laughs) the whole idea to do a naked sports version of the Hayabusa, Mm -hmm.
0: like,
2: there was never a naked Honda Blackbird. No. Kawasaki never did a naked ZX14R. No.
0: Right?
2: This is a bike that the the only the next closest thing is another insane Suzuki bike is the 1200 Bandit, right? Mm. That is the closest thing to this. But there's really just nothing else like this. The I idea, think the only thing
3: that comes close to it is like the monster street fighter.
2: Mm. Yeah, maybe the Ducati Street Fighter is the closest thing to this.
3: Yeah, but again, and- that's not
2: this kind of engine and yeah. and uh, right. right. The the B King stands alone in the idea of a naked bike in this hypersports category.
3: And the fact that they had to get like Euro three emissions compliance exhausts on a 1300 CC inline four, and they still went with undertale exhausts is yeah. absurd. Oh, I love these undertale exhausts.
2: This is the thing that people hate about this bike. There's a lot of people that really cannot stand the look of this bike. I yeah. think they are just cowards <laughs> I, I so you know the old really the closest thing that actually exists to this is the um, the 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 NBA new H2 supercharged oh, yeah, 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 uh Street yeah, yeah. Fighter but that's like 18 years after this Suzuki so yeah. beat everybody to this and now the only bikes that exist are yeah the the H2 Street Fighter and the Ducati Street Fighter Um But this is essentially just a Hayabusa with a slightly more comfortable riding position and just done in a sort of naked street fighter style. And it's absolutely bonkers.
3: We're talking Uh, about
2: basically like 190 something like 180 something top speed mile per hour because you know it doesn't have the aerodynamics of the busa to give it like that last 10 miles per hour or whatever but you know i i just can't imagine like at what speed can you just not hold on anymore because there's just right. so much wind on your chest so who cares yeah
0: that's, uh, that's the first sentence i wrote down is that it, it was a the two it was inter- it was actually a concept bike in 2001 but it was introduced to the market as the real deal in 2008 and it had that 1340 cc motor from the hayabusa and it was detuned by 10 horsepower and that 10 horsepower was to keep the rider from being peeled off because there's no (laughs) there is no aerodynamic to it and so yeah absolutely like i mean you look at this
3: thing and they did so many bizarre things who do you think they'd make it well they're thinking, well, maybe they're just not selling enough Hayabusa, so they're going to make a new model that they're going to... They'll, they'll make it naked, and now they've got a new model, a new way to sell the Hayabusa, essentially. But I go with that undertale exhaust, the whole different exhaust system. Then they do insane things like put the air scoop, like put the turn signals integrated into the tank over the airbox intakes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's every bit of it is just... Outrageous.
2: So, something that this bike does that it doesn't nearly get the recognition for that the Hayabusa does is its name. So, if you look at the styling, it's basically more Honda than a Honda could ever be, right? Honda was doing a lot of their Hornet models and stuff right before this, right? There was a lot of those Hornet 600s and things like that, whatever. It is a very Honda Hornet looking tail and headlight and everything. And, you know, from certain angles, those exhausts kind of look like back swept, like insect wings and stuff like that. And because Honda was doing the Hornets, right? So remember there was the, the blackbird, and then the Hayabusa is the falcon that eats blackbirds. Yeah, peregrine falcon. Right. Honda had the hornets. This is the B King.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. And this <laughs> never gets the credit for being the Suzuki to Honda one-upmanship, like the Hayabusa was.
0: Right. And that's really fun. Right. Cause. Uh, yeah. And this thing also, um, I mean, yeah, when you're talking about uh, the, I mean, it has a, it still has 183 horsepower, like this thing blows everything. This thing really blows the Hayabusa out of the water in some ways, you know what I'm saying? And uh, the the design of it was, you know, you either, you loved it or hated it because of those cannons that came out under the seat there. It looked like an Autobot transformer. Like, I think that they These are all had- strengths for me. I think that they had special tires developed for it um, because it's not the width of them is not standard. I think the front tire is what normally some of the <laughs> rear tires are on uh, other bikes, and the rear tire was like a two forty or two sixty or something, which some t- is not crazy. On it makes some me love bikes. it even more.
1: <laughs> but I, yeah. back
0: then, yeah, for for real, like this was such a. a um, I, when I saw it, I immediately fell in love with it. I mean, I did. Then I saw one in person, and I, I I wasn't sure either. For somebody that went from like loving how it looked on paper to seeing one in person and going, "Whoa!" Like it struck me. Uh, yeah, this thing was just an insane. Um, you know, uh, design. I, I don't even know how they got the green light on it. And actually Suzuki said that it would never be for production back when they were showing it in 2001. And so almost a decade later, people can actually buy it. And they were so stoked. Obviously it wasn't very long lived because I think it, it was only here in the States for like one or two years. Um, and I'm not sure how long it lived on in Japan or Europe, but yeah, this thing was nuts. And I mean, it had the, um, Shit, like a dual throttle, like you said, the the air intakes, the the just all the all the body styling. Like this thing can't be described without you know going over every single detail of it. And you'll see something different every time you turn it. You know, you turn it this angle, hey, that front fender looks like nothing I've ever seen. You turn it this way, God, that rear body, how the how it wraps over the you know what looks like two gigantic jet thrusters coming out. But when you start to dig into like the little things too. Um, it had a lot of cool tech on it. It had the dual throttle valve system, which was like a huge Suzuki thing. People forget like Suzuki has really cool engine management shit with like the th- dual throttle valves and the butterfly and the exhaust. Don't forget
2: Suzuki's insta Start. Insta-start.
0: <laughs> Instastart the,
2: or uh, instant start or whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. no I mean, one could wait for an extra three rotations of the starter. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 right. I mean, there was so much going on with this that just aside from all the mechanical, uh, ingenuity on it, the fricking, just the visual, uh, is, was enough to gut punch most people. Um, and yeah, I'm with you, man. I really liked this bike. And I thought if there was a, if there was a bike that I could own, um, before I, you know, f- shuffle off this mortal coil, it's going to be, I, it would, it would be a B King somewhere, you know, just these things were just so, uh, I'd rather go for that than a Nikon any day. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like,
2: <laughs> Oh Yeah. Well, uh, something that I really came to understand taking this deep dive on Suzuki's craziest models is that if you're not a Suzuki fan, I you might just be a little bit of a coward. You mm. might be just a little too obsessed with having the coolest bike rather
0: than the most fun bike. Right. Right. And I, I know we're going to focus on production only bikes. But if we do get into the um, concept bikes that Suzuki put out one day, you'll you'll see that they're just as nuts as anything that anybody else has put out. And I think that Suzuki did a lot of things first that other people. We talked
2: about this. I cannot take a concept bike seriously. (laughs) I I I can't go there.
3: uh, The 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 way I would describe, I, I wouldn't say I'm a huge, huge Suzuki fan, but I would say is that to me, Suzuki is a lot like Rush. You know, are they the greatest band, rock band of all time? No. But if you're not rooting for them, what's wrong with you? Yeah, 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 yeah. you know. Yeah.
2: yeah. All right. Here's okay. So, so yeah, let's keep this moving. What what yeah, do you have on your list here, here, Swigs?
0: Uh oh yeah yeah Swigs what you got? Uh
3: well let's do let's do another easy one uh let's do the re five. All right, I'm gonna cross that. We, one up we had, yeah, we had to get there. So, so this was a
0: 1974 to 76 Wankel rotary engine coming from NSU in Germany. I don't know if that makes it into a. So, lot of So, so
2: yeah, give engine. us your take on the RE5. This is this is much like the GT750. This is one of those bikes that. Every YouTube channel, magazine, podcast has had to talk about how wacky yeah. the RE5 is. But again, like I think they're almost everybody is missing the point with this bike. But give
3: us yeah. your swigs. So, okay. So this was weirdly, this is actually in uh, this was envisioned when they were going to start making this, was uh, actually the time when. Suzuki was not in dire financial straits, and they soon fixed that uh, with this bike <laughs> um, and famously, <laughs> Wankel engines uh, rotary engines uh, are have a great track record of killing off motorcycle companies and Suzuki apparently in the process of designing this took it to a whole new level. And from everything that I've been able to read, this was very much a too many cooks in the kitchen situation, which is actually very much out of character for Suzuki. Apparently, they had third party designers in. They had everyone in the company working on this rather than like a single division or a smaller group of uh, engineers And this got completely out of control. Yeah. So it's not a large motor, but they try to up and increase the performance over other Wankel engines for this bike. And one thing that Wankel engines are not good at is dissipating heat. So... If you look at the exhausts on this bike, uh, the exhausts are actually double-layered. There's actually a whole air-gapped shield wrapped around the exhaust headers and the exhaust pipes mm-hmm. because this overheated so much that it would just burn the rubber off your boots mm-hmm. if you touched it. Um, this was in the end, not really great performance. I mean, it was pretty decent, but, uh, it could also very easily run away and just over rev and destroy itself and melt itself. It, the liquid cooling didn't really work that there, there's so much to this. Um, I mean, there's like there are a million reasons why this really didn't get off the ground. So
2: focusing on the fact that it's a 500 cc rotary engine or wankel motor, which is ambitious, is is ambitious, sure, but I think it's so much missing the point. Yes, it's it's integral to the bike, but what everyone always forgets is the many much more than you think rotary engine attempts that were tried before this so two different models from norton for example yeah and and and, and some other sporadic ones uh small startup companies and When you think about companies that have tried everything, like Kawasaki and Honda, even Honda was never brave enough to do this. And Suzuki arguably took the biggest swing at this. It's true. And arguably had the most success with this. Yeah, I mean it's weird to call it a, a success because it was a financial disaster for the company, but the, there are more Suzuki RE5s than all other rotary engine motorcycles put together.
3: Right? Yeah, I think and maybe, maybe something something the better to say. the better framing is not oh my god Suzuki made a rotary engine it was terrible it's Suzuki survived a rotary engine motorcycle. Uh-huh. Right uh-huh.
2: Now. Suzuki really believed in it, really pushed it, really went all in. And I think that is the big story here. Isn't that they did it. It's that they had the balls to go all in. Cause this is not parts bin. This doesn't share anything with any other yeah. Suzuki. Like maybe it shares forks and rear shocks with another Suzuki motorcycle. But beyond that, like it's pretty fucking unique from the instrument cluster to the tank shape, to the side covers, to the exhaust, to the frame, everything.
0: They had to, before this thing was even built, before they even started building it, they spent like millions of dollars because it had to have its own production line built in the Hamamatsu factory. So already out of the gate, it's costing them money before they even get one off the assembly line. They had to they had to make all the tools separate for it. You know, they had to basically retool for this engine. This is this is a wankel. There's not an existing one. I think that's why they partnered with NSU probably. Um, but they had to retool and and devote part of the factory to just this bike, which included employees, tools, equipment, you name it. What you know, all the overhead that goes with making a bike, and that was the first part of it, because it never actually recouped that bit of investment. Secondly, like you're saying, I mean, Suzuki was a huge two-stroke company. A lot of their street bikes were two-strokes well into the 80s, and emissions eventually was was. What put that out of business, but two strokes don't have valves, you don't have camshafts, you don't have a lot of moving parts. You have a piston and a crank, and the rotary had even less than that. There's no camshafts, there's no valves. It's weird,
2: yeah. It's still Um, a suck, press, bang, blow, but without valves. Exactly. It's kind of, yeah, exactly in between two and four stroke, isn't it?
0: And I think that it was quieter than the two strokes. And I think that they were trying to see if it was more, well, maybe they perhaps with their, I I don't know, but maybe they determined that it was less pollutant. Like maybe, cause this is 75. This is getting right around. No,
2: this was ridiculous. This is worse for emissions than even a two stroke. The amount of unburnt fuel that goes out of these (laughs) is, this had, I don't know know if they knew
0: that yet. You know, I don't know if they were were trying to get around. They
2: knew it's just no one cared. No, but right, right. it wasn't an issue, and yeah. that's why it's got such a large tank as well. It was not fuel efficient,
0: not very good on the gas. So um, yeah,
2: people complained about the range. The suspension apparently wasn't up to snuff, but that's something that could have been
3: fixed easily. Yeah, everyone crazy, liked how uh, smooth it was. Yes. You know what? You know what the the Wankel engine is in the motorcycle world. It's essentially um, the light grenade of the motorcycle world
0: like the flashbang
3: oh no have you seen a uh, mom and dad save the world uh, uh no
2: oh wow oh,
3: pick okay. me up <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe i have i don't know i don't think
3: so. oh much. okay well i kn- okay so no one's gonna get this reference then but uh there's a Go there's for it. A, there's switch. an 80s movie called Mom and Dad Save the World
2: starring the principal from Ferris Bueller and John Lovitz. Okay. Yes.
0: I have to see it now.
3: And they are abducted by a planet full of idiots. And <laughs> were they taken to Earth? <laughs> and they had a there's a weapon in it called a light grenade. Okay. And the light grenade doesn't explode. It just you pull the pin and throw it. And then it just has the words, pick me up, written on it. (laughs) And when you pick it up, you disappear. Okay. And in in the movie, a whole brigade of troops are wiped out by them just looking at the grenade and seeing the words written on it. And they pick it up. And that's what the Wenkel motor is for the motorcycle world. Yeah, exactly.
0: You just it it almost from what i understand from what i've heard thousands of people say uh, all over the internet is it it did almost take uh you know suzuki picked it up and they almost <laughs> went out of business from it um and you know what in 1976 so was that just like a year or two i guess two years no the last year that this thing was sold uh so 75 um had this crazy cylindrical instrument cluster and taillight on it to like represent a Wankel thing. Nobody liked that either. So, I mean, it kind of had some like wacky, it's kind of like when Harley does something big and all the Harley people go, dude, what are you thinking? So obviously it's gone on the next year's Harley and they go back to the to the drawing board. That happened in 75 with that big, crazy, like Rolodex looking instrument cluster and taillight that they had. But then uh, in 76, um, uh, only uh, 65 models were sold that year Uh, I'm sorry, in in 75, 65 models sold in West Germany. And I think they were hoping because of this partnership with NSU that it was going to be a big bike in that market. And 65 sold. Uh, And then in 1976, only one of them sold in Germany. And so I think this was like Suzuki partnering with NSU, thinking that if it doesn't hit big here in Japan or the States, it'll hit huge in Germany where the Wankel was created, right? And like one person one, one bike was sold in 76. So this thing was just a flop all over. I mean, I mean, it light grenaded probably, it's probably the reason NSU isn't around for all I know. You know what I'm saying? Like this thing, it looks amazing. I've seen this blue one again at mid Ohio. You probably see every color there is, but I've only ever seen a blue one, um, uh and i just saw one a few, couple months ago and i just had to stare at the motor it's so it's so cool looking that's the problem with all these suzuki bikes from the water buffalo to the re5 they look awesome but they just yeah they just not commercially viable and it's sad i would you know, like to it.
2: talk about the roll bar instrument cluster on yeah. this
0: if anybody knows anything about <laughs>
2: Yeah, I used to hate the the roll bar style instrument cluster on these. And I used to say to myself, oh, if I ever picked one of these up, I would have to get one of the earlier models with the regular instrument cluster or retrofit a regular instrument cluster to it. Yeah. But an older, wiser MotoGP is like, fuck that. I'm brave enough to have the roll bar cluster. And yeah. it's so it's so 1970s so oh yeah it, it has this sort of um promise of the future without actually delivering anything from the future that i've come to really enjoy you've got to to to, to appreciate this you've got to be the kind of person that can order here's here's a real throwback thing if you ever had the, the boy scout magazine or highlights magazine or mm, yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that in the back of it there was always a kit to make a hovercraft out of a vacuum yes. cleaner
0: yes or or a box fan or yeah i remember those hovercraft. Some, kits. right and, and it wasn't
2: even like a kit it was actually just the blueprints of how to do yeah. it
0: yeah yeah, yeah.
2: and and so it actually, you know, it didn't work or whatever. It was just something that would float with, like, you know, nothing heavier than a paperweight on it. Uh, but you would build this little hovercraft thing powered via vacuum cleaner, or whatever. This roll bar is that it has all the promise of the future without delivering on any of it.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
2: in order to give it a sort of fake backlit sort of thing, it's got this tinted shield over it. To kind of like change the color of it when you roll it like up and down and you can kind of change the tint of the light going over it to kind of change it blue and green and whatever and there's and it hints that it's some sort of futuristic design. But yeah. it's not at all. They're just regular gauges inside this tube.
0: Yeah. Well, you know why you had to be able to open that lid on it too, the, the clear lid, is because it's 1970s plastic. And after being outside in the sun for about three weeks, it got so cracked and degraded and delaminated that you couldn't read the gauges anymore unless you flipped them up to see. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I,
2: I am brave enough now that I would just love to own it with the roll top.
0: Yeah, oh, cluster yeah. gauge, and you know this this time in history as well. I mean, you guys might not be able m- be old enough to remember this, but when I was a kid, that tube reminds me of going to the bank with my grandma, and you would go up to the bank and you would stick your. Chip it is your exactly looking like, like a bank tube tube to yeah. a container, yeah.
2: doesn't it? Yeah. If yeah. there was, if you took one of those bank pneumatic tubes and just slid a piece Slept, of paper yeah. inside it that looked like motorcycle <laughs> gauges, you could just. Yeah. Yeah, you know, if I had one of these with the regular gauges, I would get one of those tubes and, <laughs> and make. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Suzuki being brave enough to put this weird instrument cluster on it, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Uh, yeah, just what a big swing again, i I'm bored about talking about Wankel engines like every time I talk to an engineer they're like, what if I could put like an ADCC rotary engine on a scooter and make like the fastest like scooter you don't need a license for and I'm like, whatever dude, I don't care like if you really think just you know like it, it's like okay, you're a city engineer sure but do you really think, you could just top like a hundred years of development, or or sorry, eighty something years of development at Vespa, just because you've heard of a wankel engine. Like no, I, I, I'm kind of bored with the whole concept. I'm much more interested in the idea that of yes. all the companies we think of, and Suzuki being one of the more boring ones, they took the biggest swing at making this work
0: yeah and the things that that swig mentioned and 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 the design you know what fuck the engine you know it didn't work but the design things including this crazy roll you know flip chart that looks like a rolodex the weird um what what swigs mentioned i when i saw the one that i saw back in november or whatever it was I never had noticed it before, but then I saw the huge air intakes on the exhaust, and it's like, oh yeah, the guy was like, oh yeah, because this thing would literally catch your feet on fire. Like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's amazing. another thing I, that,
3: I didn't actually mention that I mentioned that the the exhausts were sheets, but there's also air intakes at the front of the headers, <laughs> yeah. right where it meets the crash bar, to suck yeah. in more cold air. Yeah, this yeah. is a rare
2: example of um, of not ram air intake, ram air
3: exhaust. Ram air exhaust cooling, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool. Your exhaust.
0: (laughs) So, just looking at this thing, even if you never drove it and never had to maintain it, just looking at this thing brings me, you know, joy. So, uh, all right, give us
2: another model here, junkie. Let's let's keep rolling on here.
0: Yeah, because I I may have to I'm being summoned. I may have to bail out here. So I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna tell you what I have on my list, and you guys tell me which ones you wanna you wanna cover. I have the Suzuki A100. The uh Suzuki Fan Fan, the Suzuki Karna F3, the Suzuki XN85 Turbo, and the Mountain. I want the
2: Turbo. XN85 Turbo.
0: All right, so I'm going to go to the XN85 Turbo. So, this is the one I have probably least uh documentation on, however. So, the XN85 Turbo, this is a uh, 83, this thing comes out. Uh, and I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but I think this was a reply to Honda's, um, I think a year before Honda came out with the, uh, no, 82 and 83, Honda came out with the uh, CX500 Turbo, which had some of the same technology that the XN85 had on it. Uh, so, this is a 83 XN85 uh, four-cylinder, supposedly produced 85 horsepower, which is how it gets its name. Um its styling was totally stolen from the Katana, which came out just a couple years earlier than that, and um, it did have several race components on it, which is kind of weird because this isn't—I don't think it was meant to be a race bike, but it did have clip-ons. It had the some of the first EFI that Suzuki had made. Uh, it had 16-inch sized wheels, which was very uh, only dedicated to race bikes back in the '80s. Um, and it only came to the U S in 83. So I've never, I don't think I've ever even seen one of these in person, but it did get produced globally till 85. So it it also wasn't very long, long lived. I don't think many turbo bikes were, but, um, it was, uh, like I said, probably a response to the CX 500 turbo. And if you look at this thing, all the ads for it look super space age. I mean, it definitely stole the Katana, um, Katana bodywork for sure. It's, you know, it's just pretty much a standard four sill that gets just got a turbo on it. And this is one of another one of those bikes that looks to me like, Oh, it's so cool to look at it, but it was probably a pain in the ass to maintain. It was probably a pain in the ass to get the intake to, to work properly. Cause again, this is a, you know, this isn't a two stroke. This, this requires, you know, you gotta, you gotta know what you're doing to tune this thing. And, I don't know. I'm really I'm not 100% sure if I'm as sold as this as I was on the CX uh, 500. Um, but yeah, this thing I don't know. It's just it's just another wacky like who makes a turbo bike, right? There was very few of these and everyone forgets that Suzuki Suzuki was wild and tried all this shit. They tried a, a rotary 10 years before this that almost put them out of business. And now in 85, they're trying a turbo, you know, and they got these gamma four cylinder or square fours. Like, holy shit. Suzuki was
3: Swings. max at this. So time. it looks like this is like seven less horsepower <clears throat> than the CX650 turbo. Yes. Mm.
2: Swigs. So, what was that m- movie we did a commentary on? On the the motorcycle with the the rocket launchers on it and everything.
0: <laughs> this bike would have been perfect for with that. The movie?
2: Yeah, this is an early commentary that we did. That '80s uh, movie with um, like the evil crime boss who's trying to get his hands on this prototype motorcycle slash weapon. And oh. they kill the scientists, and then his girlfriend finds it, and he's left her like a series oh, of instructional Christ. videos. Um, um, Buckaroo Banzai in the Eighth Dimension. No, um, oh, well, it was a one-word title. Uh,
0: Zardoz. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> It was, oh, I can't. hmm.
3: Critters? (laughs) It was something, oh, I I can't remember. I know, I know, I can picture every scene of it. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, my God. This is kind of as close as you get
2: to owning that bike in real life. So what we've got here is a bike that is definitely not a Suzuki Katana, but it's real close. Yeah. So we've got, it's a 650 turbo, right? It's not uh, quite as six, fast as the CX6 or is this just a 600?
0: No, I think it's a, it was a 670 of all weird. It was, it went okay. with the KTM. All that matters <laughs> yeah. is that it's <laughs> Cyclone.
2: Cyclone. Yeah. Thank oh, you. Shit, this okay. is as close as you kind of get to the Cyclone bike in real life. It's, yeah. uh, it's that really awesome Suzuki gray that they returned to a few years ago. It is kind of for people that okay. This is great because Swigs, Swigs, and I are famously really split on the original katana styling. I love it, yeah. and Swigs can't stand it. How yeah. do you feel about this one, Swigs, with the Gen One katana styling softened up a bit?
3: Um, yeah, because it's, it's not easy. my it's, it's not easy. my first it's choice, but. Uh-huh. The, the words turbo written across the lower mm-hmm. of the front fairing and the fact there's an actual turbo on it gets a lot of points mm-hmm. and it all kind of fits together when you put all of that together. Right. Right. We've got
2: I, uh, a couple of glove boxes here, which is nice. It looks like there's probably some sort of decent under seat storage there. So, for a sports bike, especially from the 80s, we're doing really well there. We've got a really nice windshield that looks pretty effective. We've got what I think, because this is a big problem turbo bikes have, is the turbo itself. And the the extra um, you know uh, uh, tubing on the on the intake there. So this bike does
3: work. look like it was designed to have a turbo. This is the yeah, cleanest yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: looking turbo incorporation into an engine I have ever seen.
0: Yeah, I mean, when your turbo intake says turbo on it, you know it wasn't an afterthought. Like they definitely right. meant to do this, and it does look. I agree that it looks better than some of the. I mean, it looks better than some of the um, supercharger stuff on the H2. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, this it, thing. Yes. So,
2: so again, uh, when with, with the with the Hondas, it's kind of slapped on there. With the late 70s Kawasaki's, it is really slapped on there. This is very elegant, mm-hmm. and and but still lets you know that it is definitely turbo which is the coolest word from the 80s it's got a great color gradient on the word turbo just very very subtle but effective
0: tasteful tasteful you know what they didn't tell you about turbos in the 80s is it it was it was the go-to word right um and everything had turbo and it was cool but what they didn't tell you is they're putting it on smaller cars and stuff like that to get more the, the most power out of like the shittiest engine that they <laughs> that they had. Unfortunately, there's a lot of very small displacement and diesel turbos. And it's just because they they literally were had to get uh, the most out of that engine. And and one way to do that is to put a turbo on it, not necessarily for um power, even, but just even for fuel efficiency, unless you get the same amount of power out of a terrible a terrible motor, you know what I'm saying? So it doesn't feel like you're just riding a a tuk-tuk down the street. This thing apparently was not very powerful, uh, or it didn't feel like a, quote, sports bike, even though... it the ads you would be you know the ads look like you're flying down the front straight at laguna seca but definitely from what i've read about this thing is that it didn't kick in it was pretty mellow when it kicked in and it was not very you know you get on a 750 and you're like whoa you know this is insane uh this thing just apparently was kind of like a uh, like a cafe bike, almost like a cat, like corporate average fuel economy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think I think this was as cool as it looked. I don't think so was meant to perform. What that you know? says
2: to me is it actually worked. So mm-hmm. every I have not ridden a CX 500 or 650 turbo, but all reports of Ninja turbos of Honda CX turbos is that, oh, yeah, at a certain point, like, the turbo kicks in, but basically you've taken away all of your advantages of having a four-stroke overhead cam engine, and you've given the engine all the problems of a two-stroke power band, and all of a sudden it's really not that great. It's like, oh, I've got this underpowered motorcycle except for yeah. this really no low-end torque. Rev,
3: rev range. Yeah, yeah you've got right, right. low-end torque and then you've got this super narrow power band. You can't tell when you hit it. It runs away and you've got to like be on top of it and know exactly when it's going to kick in. And, mm-hmm. 85
2: yeah. horsepower in 1988 from a 650 inline four air-cooled engine sounds like a very usable like nice amount of power to me yeah and also if you don't f- if if the turbo kick in isn't all that aggressive maybe that's because it was engineered to work correctly
0: yeah yeah. And uh, I was reading an article a few days ago on, I forget what the site was, but it was talking about like the waste gate coming on. It, like if something should get stuck open, that the ignition could have like an electronic ignition to deal with, you know, a failure on the turbo side where it could, you know, blow it up, where the it would totally, you know kind of like fix itself it was a it was a like an auto fixing sort of thing so i mean they had this thing figured out to be pretty smooth and it wasn't like 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 kind of from the get-go it wasn't an afterthought thing It like literally this was designed with this in mind um the suspension was apparently very very nice um not not sporty like a sport bike but definitely tunable and usable for uh for the rider and yeah this was basically like a a luxury sport bike? I don't know. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but you know, it just something that was even smoother and and not j- as yeah. jerky as some of the street bike or race bikes are when you try to make them a street bike, you know what I'm saying? Like it's got a moves. mid-displacement
2: yeah, yeah. sports tour kind of vibe to it with that mm-hmm. cool 80s turbo thing going on. I would I would need to know more about the early EFI, but if I'm trying to get a turbo bike to work with carburetors in the modern day. Again, looking at you, Honda CX 650 turbo. I don't know. I think I might just rather go with it. Even if I've got to buy some new, some, some, some new old stock parts or whatever, I think I'd rather tackle this. I, I don't know that I want to be doing a whole lot of turbo and carburetor tuning. In fact, I know for a fact I don't because I can't tell you how many YouTube videos I've watched of people trying to retrofit a turbo to a motorcycle to win some sort of YouTube ripping off of Top Gear kind of challenge, right? Yeah, yeah. And it never, ever works. No. Ever. Ever. If this one has a nice, predictable power band, you get to hear the cool turbo sound. Eighty-five horsepower is pretty much enough to do
3: anything you want to do with this bike. right across the country. It's uh, anything you want to do with those single pot brakes and suspe- and eighty sus- <laughs> uh, suspension. Right. That's right. for sure. Well, suspension's easy to upgrade, especially in the rear. But yeah,
2: I- I'm just saying that I. I don't know this looks a lot cooler to me than the CX 500 or 650 and it looks a lot more put together. So who knew that probably Suzuki might've had the best turbo because I, we've all heard legend that like the Ninja turbos were just awful.
3: Oh, you mean like the Z1 RTC?
2: No, after that, like, so the, there were GPZ like 700 turbos. And they are awful. Yeah. I, they look really cool, but they're awful. The, the only reason like CX 650 turbos are becoming collectible is they have all the wild looks of the GPZ 700 turbos you know, with something,
3: that but I, they actually work, even though they're not super pleasant. Something that I didn't think about until now, looking at, um, looking at a lot of the different turbo bikes is I wonder if it's become almost a fashion statement to have your turbo just kind of be hanging off the side of the motor, even on your production turbo bike, because that's how a lot of these started out when really this is the correct way to do it. But now everyone's still making it like, like the supercharger on the H2 doesn't have to stick out so ridiculously far. It doesn't have to be it can be to, it can be so much cleaner and better. But because it's a novelty and because it's selling point, it has to be it has to be slapped onto the side and stick out. Which makes this all the more tasteful. Yeah. All right, do, do you have another one you want to talk about Swigs? Um,
0: I yeah. gotta bounce out, guys. I gotta bounce, but I want to hear. I want to. I want to connect back with this because I think the Suzuki's have. We just touching the tip of the iceberg. would you start to look at?
3: Suzuki yeah, we we've
2: it, done a good yeah. hour on this. Maybe let's like save a little taste of this for a second parter.
3: I yeah. bet we've at least four or five for another. Yeah, yeah, second I think
2: we have enough bikes for a second parter, and let's also see if some listeners from Creative Writing and from Nokomoto want to come back. And, uh, like give us some, some email suggestions of ones that we haven't covered that we should.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And no no dirt bikes for fuck's sake. No, I'm just kidding. They could, they could, they could send us dirt bikes, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, this is, I don't think Suzuki got crazy. Uh, you know, I think it was their street bikes is where they really went wild, Um, but yeah man thank you guys for for hanging out and and, uh, doing this with me just because who else am I going to talk to about the weirdest spikes on earth Um, you know you guys are the only ones that really want to dig into some of this history and find out you know what existed Um, so many people are worried about what's coming on the horizon and I'm like man what what came and went because maybe we bring that back somehow but anyways thanks guys Um, I'm going to bounce and I will uh, talk to you guys on the flip side
3: yep Yep.
0: And yep. And thank you for hanging out with us as well. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Tobor. Thank you, Chewbacula. And thank you, everybody, for hanging out for this episode of Creative Writing. Uh, Also, a big shout-out to our Patreons. Thank you so much uh, for some recent feedback. And thank you for everybody that has corresponded with the show this week on... Uh, email and, uh, the, you know, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you're doing it. Uh, we did, I did say word of the week, uh, last week and somebody suggests the first suggestion that came in said that I should change the co hosts oils. Uh, I don't know, but I'll check their oils, but, uh, if you know what I mean, wink, wink. I don't know about changing their oils. Anyways, if you uh, have any crazy Suzukis you want to hear about, uh, I'm going to definitely talk up the mountain goat on the next show. But, yeah, if you want to hear some more Suzuki action or have anything that you want to hear on Creative Writing, you know where to get a hold of us, creativewriting.com. That's not really it. Check us out on Facebook and Scribys. Also, creative-writing.com on the web, nerd butt.